What's up, party people? Welcome to YYZ Podcast. My name is Melissa, and I will be your host as we talk all things Toronto. It's been pretty crazy this week, so let's get into it. So next year is an election year, which basically means that the provincial government is doing a lot to make the people of the province happy. And there is no more major announcement last week that I saw everyone talking about than the increase of minimum wage to $15 an hour. So I've seen people on both sides of the argument. When I first saw it, I thought it was good for sure because Toronto and GTA living, you know, in these times can be expensive. So the ability for people to make more of a living wage is never bad. That being said, knowing how these things work, it might have some effects as far as if wages go up, that often also means that the cost of goods may go up as well. So hopefully we won't necessarily have to see an increase in prices, but would I be surprised if I did? And also it draws attention to the fact that a lot of people either were not able or to make a living wage. So just by increasing it doesn't necessarily change the culture or improve the aspects of certain industries that don't really abide by these things anyway, people being paid in cash. So I'm not an economist. I can't say what the impacts will be. On the surface, this seems like good news, but it remains to be seen whether or not this will actually have a good impact as far as not causing the cost of everything else to increase as a result. Two of the main concerns I've seen raised about this increase in in minimum wage, sorry, is small business owners and people saying that many people with small businesses who are attempting to pay their staff a living wage, but because of small business might struggle to do so at this new rate and also automation because for many companies you can see it now and I'm not gonna pretend like I don't take advantage of this sometimes for example the biggest case being a self-checkout if you go somewhere and the lineup for the regular cashier is long you might use a self-checkout but that costs a fraction of what employing someone to do that job per year does and if it becomes too expensive for people to employ actual people especially from a large corporate standpoint where each year you're expected to increase your profits you can see why even at mcdonald's they're starting to employ way more of those automated um, ordering systems because that might be one way to cut costs so there are some people sounding the alarm about this as i mentioned not an economist so i'm not gonna lie and say that it could go either way but i find with these things the truth is always somewhere in the middle there probably will be some businesses unfortunately who might not be able to operate with this new increased wage but that shouldn't necessarily be a blanket example for why minimum wage shouldn't be increased. At the same time, there might be some jobs that are lost or some companies that choose to staff less employees because it will be too quote-unquote expensive for them, which sometimes I have a hard time with when corporations are large enough that you should be able to find that money. But I guess when you have shareholders and you're expected to deliver record profits, it becomes a bit precarious, but 
all of that to say the truth will probably lie somewhere in the middle I am expecting the prices for goods and services to go up at least a little bit to compensate. I think I've also seen a lot of people frustrated who make above minimum wage because those wages don't rise as a result of minimum wage going up either. So I just think a lot of this has to do with broader conversations about the nature of work and once again, precarious employment. A lot of jobs are contract now jobs are going to be, it's a fact, jobs are going to be replaced by automation and it's crazy that the same things that we create to assist us sometimes are too efficient. So in this way, this is the first step in seeing what, I don't think it's the first step, but it'll be interesting to see what the positive and possibly negative ramifications of this are. On that note, and in more automation and Big Brother-ish news, the Toronto Star, I believe, broke this story just last week, basically saying or confirming that Metrolinx has been quietly sharing Presto users' information with the police. If you're not familiar with Presto, it's being touted as the 21st century savior, I guess, for all integrated transit needs because it's used by Go Transit, it's used by many municipalities in the GTA, and it's just a fare card. So instead of fumbling around with millions of tokens or having to buy a monthly pass, it's just a card that holds your fare. But part of the, if you've used transit systems pretty much anywhere in the world where they have fare cards, you generally tap on and tap off. And obviously, this system has a record of this. In the difference, I would say to some extent, or not the difference, but at least with Presto here, you register your card. So all your data, once again, very big brothery, is associated with you. Even if you want to use it for tax purposes, you can print a, a log of all your trips throughout the year, which is kind of cool. But then when you think about it, as with anything that is a data collector or that keeps a record of how you're moving essentially you have just created a paper trail for yourself and obviously if you're not doing anything that is quote-unquote suspicious it's not a big deal but at the same time I'm just always wary of when your data is being stored in ways that you're not necessarily aware of how it's being used but there's not really ways around it with a presto card I don't think you have to register it but they generally try to encourage you to I guess if you lose it or things like that but if you think about it every time you're tapping on and I don't know if it's very tinfoil hat of me like the fact that they're just able to keep an entire record of pretty much all your movements is a little creepy especially if they're not explicitly disclosing how this information will be used and this is the entire premise of this Toronto Star article when they found that the private travel records are being shared with the police and I don't remember I mean there's so many jargon filled terms and whatever conditions papers that people don't read which is another problem but I in no way did it ever explicitly say that this data was going to be shared with the police and I get it sure you know actually I know I just don't because it says the agency does not always require law enforcement agencies to produce a warrant or a court order to remain to obtain detailed data about a transit rider's trips. So it's like, so why do you need to have this data then? I'm just confused as to why this needs to be released if it's not even for something that is through a warrant. 
it does seem like I'm not one to really hop on the next level conspiracy trains all the time, but it just seems strange that this data is being released without A, giving people explicit, not consent, but giving people an explicit heads up about it. And B, if you're not, if you're not obtaining it for a specific warrant, then what are you just having it to have? Even the other day, I was thinking about just the fact of the fingerprint um, password on the iPhone. Sure, it's convenient, but it's like they have a full picture of your fingerprint now that is existing in some cloud data center somewhere with millions of people's fingerprints. And just from a data safety standpoint, little questionable. And by a little questionable, I mean a lot questionable, but it's just crazy in the ways that you don't see how intertwined that tech is becoming in our lives. And that brings in the whole Internet of Things discussion as well. And it's just something to be aware of because ethically, if you're sharing users' data, then you're essentially sharing private information. And if there's not really any type of framework that protects someone's data, then you're entering into questionable territory for sure. So... Metrolinks generally try to kind of brush it off and make it seem like it's not a big deal, but it's just something to be aware of for sure, because every time you tap on, someone might be looking at it. You don't know. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. These segues this week are pretty smooth because talking about transit with the TTC and it's continuing quest to do the least comes a report that finds that Toronto is ranked one of the top 10 most expensive cities for commuters uh, which was identified in an annual report by Deutsche Bank and so the report ranked 47 cities and Toronto was number 10 on the list uh, among such exciting company as New York, Dublin, Auckland, and Tokyo. But in many of these other places, at the very least, the transit lines are extensive. Here, the price keeps going up, but does the service? Not really. So is anyone surprised that we would appear on this list? No, but it's definitely sobering and a wake-up call when you realize when there's a fare increase and you're still trying to get onto the streetcar or the subway or the bus at 5 p.m. and you can see it approaching and there's literally no room, like you're packed into the door. But somehow the price of a Metro Pass is, what, $150 now? To the point where you have to take so many rides per month just to make it break even that I know a lot of people like personally as I always talk about I bike everywhere because I just can't even deal but I know a lot of people who used to buy metro passes who just don't even anymore because if you don't use it enough out of the month then you are just spending all this money or if you can't collect 150 bucks up front to be dropping on a metro pass and it gets pretty inaccessible for you also I know I don't think this is any official conversation, but someone was talking about even the possibility of Metro passes being prorated so that because if you were to buy it on June 1st for a June pass or June 27th, you still pay the same amount versus the idea of being prorated. If you were to buy it later in the month, it would be cheaper because obviously you can't get the amount of usage that it's based upon 
if you're to buy it at the beginning of the month. I don't know if that's ever something that would be considered, but I think it's a good option, especially for people who maybe you have one really intensive week, but you don't want to be lugging around 5011 tokens. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want to buy a Metro Pass per month because you're just not sure if you're going to use it, especially if you use combined forms of transit, if you drive and also take the TTC sometimes, or you bike, or sometimes you walk to work, or this, that, and the other it's just not worth it. And I think it's, especially if you think of, there's so many things that are considered poverty reduction strategies and the importance of things that don't further hinder people from being able to support themselves. And that comes in once again with the minimum wage conversation as well, because having transit, which is supposed to be, the word public is in it, which means it's supposed to be accessible for people. Obviously, it can't be dirt cheap because it needs to operate to some extent, but if it keeps increasing, often the people who are low income don't live directly in the city. So it's more likely that people who have lower incomes will live in the fringes and have to commute further. And they might be working in positions that are entry level or just not necessarily high paying positions. So all of these things are interconnected. If transit is expensive, if the price of goods goes up, if people's hours are cut, these are just all things that are important to try to prevent so that our city can be livable. And having transit prices constantly increasing and barely anything new being built but the price is going up it's just it's taking steps in the wrong direction I think okay and slightly lighter but still very Toronto news one Toronto neighborhood is trying to rebrand itself this is for all my east end folks so Basically, everyone knows the Danforth. It's east. There's lots of Greek food. There's Broadview. You know, all the important things. But the eastern section of Danforth is, uh, according to some of its residents, just being left by the wayside because most people only seem to care about things that occur west of PAPE. And so, in an attempt to rebrand the Danforth Mosaic BIA, which represents 500 businesses between Jones and Westlake, are trying to rename that portion of the Danforth as the Danny. Honestly, I mean, sometimes you gotta try a ting, I'm not gonna lie, but I'm not sure if this was the one to try. As far as I am concerned, you gotta let a nickname arise organically. Ask any Jamaican person who has 12 nicknames or just, anyways, just ask someone. They'll explain to you how nicknames work. But anyways, all that to say, the nicknames usually arise out of a specific situation. You don't force the nickname, as in the nickname chooses you. You don't choose it. In this case, this is like a case of trying to make fetch happen. Like, I'm just not sure if I could see people unironically referring to the Danforth as the Danny. It could be one of those things like when people started saying YOLO, myself included, ironically, and then occasionally like you would say it, but it wasn't really 
in an ironic sense. So it could creep in, but lowest of keys, I'm hoping it doesn't because it's kind of corny. But at the same time, they've gone publicity for it, so it might work. But I just really don't know if I could see people saying, yo, what area are you from? And someone saying the Danny. Because also, I just think of Grease Lightning. I really do. It's the first thing that comes to mind. And it's like, is that what you want? Maybe. Maybe it is. But just off the top of my head, it's going to be a no from me, honestly. But yo, everyone is free to choose their own destiny, to choose their own nickname. Just doesn't necessarily mean everyone has to agree with it. But hey, you know, it's 2017. You do what you want. And if you want to get some more attention for your area, then maybe this is the way to do it. Who am I to say? So if you think you would call the Danforth of Danny, let me know. Uh, you can tweet at me or something. I don't know. But personally, I just don't see it. That's what they told Einstein back in the day. No, I'm just kidding. But interesting, interesting developments. Toronto artist Noita with the song She Bangs and that's what's on the aux cord this week so you can feel free to check her out she's on SoundCloud or just use the powers of Google and you will find lots of good music by her all right friends we've reached the end of another episode you can find me on Twitter at Melissa Hote that's at M-E-L-I-S-S-A-H-A-U-T-E if you haven't done so already you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play feel free to leave a comment or a rating. You can also now like the YYZ Podcast Facebook page. That's YYZ Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to send me an email with feedback, information, music, you can do so at yyzpodcast at gmail.com. Podcast music by Simbo. Follow him on SoundCloud. Peace. (laughs)